What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest has an eye for hospitality. She's an industry thought leader. She's highly skilled at space planning. She is an associate principal at KTGY Simeone Deary Design Group. Ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Tolman. Welcome, Carrie. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm so excited to be here too for many different reasons. Um, but one of the joys of doing this podcast for me, Carrie, is that, um, like you said in the prep call, like we've just known each other for so long yeah. and we've all been on these different journeys. And, but within this same world of designing and furnishing and building hotels and um, just so many stories to share um, on projects that we've worked together on, on projects that just we haven't, but you know, we all are encounter the same um, challenges and excitements. And um, I don't know, it's just great to have shared this industry with you for so long and just you and getting to know you. So thank you for being here and thank you for your time. I know it's exciting and fun. It's just, you know, two friends at the corner of a, <laughs> of a, a showroom floor, just chatting up and talking about life and all the things that's been going on. Yeah. Well, and uh, thank you for joining us from Chicago. Um, again, see it, seeing you in your office not too long ago, it's just amazing at how much I miss just bumping into people and just those casual setups and meetings. And um, how are you doing kind of as things get back into the swing of things and just going out and having meetings and colliding with people again? You know, I think for me, at least my own individual experience, I had so many projects that were scheduled to open the summer of 2020 as the pandemic unfolded. So we were at the height of getting everything through middle shop drawings and submittals and all of this kind of stuff when all of this started transpiring in February and March. And so for me, I was out in the field as early as 2020. I mean, we were coming in and out of the office to do things and get stuff. So in some ways I feel like, you know, there's definitely been some challenges obviously that the pandemic has given, but for me personally, a lot of my life just didn't change. It just, the venue, the backdrop behind me, you know, <laughs> is a little bit different, but my day-to-day -day was still very much the same. So. Yeah. Well, it's good. And I, you know, at, at the same time, just always staying busy and skipping and not really skipping a beat. But I, for me, there was this a lot less human interaction. A lot of that had to do with just yeah. moving out of New York city. Right. And moving out to the country. Um, Cause I didn't want to endure the pandemic with three kids, a dog and, it, and my wife in our apartment. Yeah, um, and sure. I just needed some space. So, yeah. I mean, for me very much, there was definitely months of quiet and very much isolation, but I think it was really blessed in the sense that I had so many friends and family and even coworkers that we all lived near each other. And so it was right as the weather was turning in Chicago. So we were able to go on walks and meet each other and those types of things that you, 
I felt like I was still getting the human interaction that I wanted. Keyword there probably wanted with the pandemic, you know, and giving me moments to walk away, you know, and all those good things. Mm -hmm. But, and then, you know, I know we've been in this industry for a really long time, but (laughs) if you really think about like, you're a designer, right? How did you wind up choosing hospitality designer? How did hospitality design choose you? So that's kind of an interesting story in of itself. So I actually way backtrack. Um, I grew up in Clemson, South Carolina, and that's where Clemson University is, which at the time growing up um, had one of the top architecture schools in the United States. It was in like in the top five, top 10 programs. And I was kind of a serious child and I loved art, knew that I wanted to use that in some type of artistic expression. And long story short is I went to the university on a school trip, fell in love and knew that architecture was basically sculpture in motion. And as I got older, it went into interior design. Um, And so I at first, you know, went to school and tried to get internships in commercial. And right when I was coming out of school was an interesting economic downturn in the commercial world. And so I didn't get a job right away. I got a job in residential, you know, when you're coming out of school, you're like, you know, I just, I want a job. I want, I got to pay bills somehow. I got to pay these student loans back. So, and I got away from my parents. Yes. (laughs) Um, and so I definitely, you know, took that opportunity and was really blessed to work for some really great, well-known high-end residential, um, people. And I was working for Alessandra Branca at the time, and she was very good friends with the editor of house beautiful. And he had become very good friends with the general manager of the peninsula Beverly Hills at the time. Mm, Great property. Yeah. And so, you know, I think he had gone there on vacation several times and at the time they had an heiress who had gotten, had been living in the hotel in one of the suites for 10 years. And she had just gotten to a point in her age and, you know, needs that she needed to move into assisted living. And so they had this beautiful suite that needed to be updated and had a great outdoor area and all this stuff. And so, um, I think just over drinks and all that, they partnered with house beautiful and house beautiful tapped Alessandra Branca to redo this suite. And what's interesting about that property in general, because it's so adjacent to LA and the Hollywood scene and all those kind of things, there's a lot of junkets there for the movie industry, as well as, you know, different things. So a lot of those suites are very bespoke, um, especially at that time. And so it was a partnership with House Beautiful and some of their different um, vendors and things like that. So I got my very first taste, so to speak, of a hospitality suite through the lens of a more residential, bespoke luxury. Um, And that, and I was like, I really want to do this. And And there was an heiress involved. And there was an heiress involved. Which all, like every story that has an heiress, I think always turns out to be the start of an interesting journey. Yes, it was for sure. And so I think that was, so it, literally probably within three, four months, um, an opportunity to recruit or re- reached out to me and said, would, 
you know, would you be interested in maybe making the switch to hospitality? And I said, sure, you know, I absolutely. And then the rest is kind of history. That's how I fell into this industry. And if you look at hospitality, I mean, what it is by definition is a temporary lodging, a home away, a domicile away from your own home, um, whether it's extended stay or, or not. And so those skills that I learned how to make people feel welcome and good within those spaces um, at a home applied just at a much larger scale for hospitality. It's interesting because one of my first experiences as when I was an intern um, at Hirsch Bedner in Los Angeles is they were doing the Regent Beverly Wilshire, which was right down Mm -hmm. the road from there. Right. Yeah. And I had to go in with a tape measure and survey every single room and measure every existing piece of furniture length width, height. um, And then also every room and every alcove and because they weren't sure what they were wanted to, wanted to do, but they just wanted to have the data so that they could build a, a, a model around it. And the person that lived in the hotel there was not an heiress, but it was Warren Beatty. And oh, I fun. remember, yeah, I got to go <laughs> check out where he was living. And uh, the presidential suite was super cool there because also I think that's where like President Reagan would always stay when he yeah. was in town. And there was some crazy aggressive artwork of uh, like, dogs taking down deers and and all that kind of stuff like a lot of hunting stuff just just like it was really cool to be in that space and think about what the cold war was like as he was staying down there for when he was just out in california yeah i mean Hmm. hospitality is one of those things can take you to every four corners of the world and you get these amazing insane experiences that Sometimes you just have to sit there and going, is this really happening? You know, yeah, yourself, it makes me but... think also, I also think this all the time. It's like, oh my God, if these walls could talk, you know? Oh, very much so. And then you get into these stories where you talk. I, I always find the most interesting people to speak to at any hotel are like the head of rooms. Oh yeah. Right. The head of housekeeping, because they know the craziest stuff. And there's like this they'll never divulge. It's almost like they're a priest as well, or mm-hmm. a lawyer where there's like this attorney client or a priest parishioner um, protocol where you just don't say, but they'll, they can tell you about the crazy things. And you know, when they tell these stories, it's really just the very tip of what they're, what they're doing. And they have to clean up everyone's mess. You said something that was interesting as you were inspired by visiting Clemson. Um, and when, when you say Clemson, I think of Valley of Death which is, that's where they play football, right? That's their stadium or death Valley. It's death Valley, death Valley. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) death Valley, but um, they do have a prestigious architecture school. And I'm curious, you'd referred to architecture as sculpture in motion, right? But you're really, I mean, you're a superstar interior designer, right? So how did you decide to move from architecture to interior design? What was the main thought process behind that sadly and <laughs> I was naive um I was a 17 year old and I had um I was looking to apply to different schools and I actually there was an architecture student who had become friends with our family he and his wife and so we were talking about what it would take for architecture school and how long at that time and in my ignorance <laughs> 
you know, the amount of time that it takes, you know, generally for architecture school, you go for five to six years, depending on the program, then you have to basically work for a certain amount of time. And then you are then eligible to sit for the exams. And so a lot of what, you know, the time was like close to 10 years, if you really looked at it, you know, because those exams are very hard kudos to not that ours aren't, but it's a, definitely a lot more technical and in depth. So kudos to our architects, my brothers and sisters in arms, you know, for that. And so I just also, what I really wanted to do was high rise at the time. And a lot of that, at least from his perspective at that time said, that's more engineering. And I was like, heck no, I don't want to do that. I want to do the more truly the creative work. And so I just said, you know, I really have a passion for interiors and I really like that's, I think where I'm getting drawn to. So maybe interior design, interior architecture is where I want to go. Yeah. And because when we think about hospitality as well, and just all the things that that means is as we unpack these and all these conversations that are happening. Um, when I hear architecture as, as a sculpture in motion, that was really cool to hear because to me, sculpture is this beautiful kind of edifice, but it's, there's also this coldness to it, this mm -hmm. austere kind of thing. And I like being on the interior side for so long. I think that that's often, that's even more important than the structure because that's the part that the people are interacting with, right? That's the environment that everyone's touching and feeling and smelling and, you know, having this shared experience within the walls of that. Well, yeah, but think about where that experience actually starts. When you live in New York or mm -hmm. any of these large urban environments, think about when you approach an amazing, incredibly designed building inside and out, like you're seeing that experience often from miles away, right? And as you get closer and closer and even the details there and, you know, from the macro to the micro and all those things and that experience, if it's done right, <laughs> keyword there, right? Um, if the interiors and the architects were able to come together in an appropriate way as you, and even quite frankly, the landscape architect, like all of that has to work together in that experience that that experience may start several miles away, but as you get there, like all of that is reinforced as you, to your point, as you walk into the doors, what does that feel like? How does that work? Like think about the Whitney museum, mm -hmm. just a classic example you know, that you see so far away, the architectural vernacular, the landscape as you come up, go through those doors and everything that's reinforced to house this beautiful art, but even the view corridors and the way that the architect positioned that, but how the design in the interiors, again, it's all about that as amazing experience because you're not only viewing works of art, but you're also looking out at the incredible views of either the city or of, you know, the river there that you're, you're looking at works of art, both man-made and God. Correct. Well, and, but I'm also surprised it works very well there, but oftentimes there's, there seems to be like some conflict or architects and interiors, interior designers seem to be at loggerheads with each other. <laughs> and I just find that super unusual. Um, or why and, does it need and, to be that way, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, okay, I, I get all the things you're saying about the approach, but to me, as far as it goes, from my opinion, as far as hospitality and the real 
human experience that happens in, inside once you're inside. Um, so I guess that would lead to the, the question of the day really, which is like, how do you define hospitality? How did you learn about that definition? Well, for me, um, I have to start with the roots and the foundation of what I, the word hospitality and of itself. And for me, again, being born and raised in South Carolina, um, Southern hospitality and what that is and how that influences me even to this day, you know, Southern hospitality is world renowned. It's known for, it's literally a part of the culture. Um, it's the joke, it's the expectation, it's everything. And it is an art. It truly is an art form of how people entertain and host. And isn't that to a degree exactly what hospitality in our world is and it goes way beyond just you know simply making sure your guest has clean towels or a bottle of water by their bed it's that they put a gift basket by your bed that has the toothpaste that you know they know you well enough or have thought of things that it's the gum or the mints or maybe a snack that you might need in the middle of the night and it's all of these layers and you as a guest are experiencing having a beautiful experience. What was that all about? You know, mm. that they made your coffee or muffins or something or downstairs. It, again, it's just this art and experience. And so whether you're the person who's hosting or the per person receiving this, um, that to me, you know, it's just kind of the basis and foundation. And so applying that to interior design and what we do in hospitality, it's about that service level, so to speak, on everything. And to think about how all of that works together to create an experience for the person who's interacting. Like, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to give? What unique experience? Because people who can continue to have a great experience within those four walls will be the returning guests. That's where you get your return and investment. That's where you get everybody, the buzz and the beauty, so to speak. It's about the experience. But I, in, in one of our conversations, it was like, um, I think you said something, it was about service at any level, right? Correct. So service in general, you know, if you think about a lot of what distinguishes the different from select service, as we like to define it on up to a luxury it's a more expansive service model, so to speak, but at the heart of it is still service. And it doesn't mean that just because you have lower service, you're given less attention when needed and that the details and the thought can still be there. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think of, you know, of all the projects that you've worked on and that some are just, I mean, so many and awesome. But when you think of a project that you've worked on that kind of captures that Southern hospitality ideal, like which project and what part of that project kind of best exemplifies that in your mind? You know, there is a project that I have had the blessing and I call it a blessing because it's been a very long-term relationship with this client and with this property that I've worked on it for over over 10 years, um, is with white lodging and they have this beautiful property in Wyoming that's called Brush Creek Ranch. And we, again, I use it as a blessing. It's rare, you know, as a designer, 
you have those projects that come along, like maybe once or twice in your life that you get to be a part of it from the very beginning, like before, you know, even the property necessarily is, has been bought or right around then. And to be a part of the master planning and all of those kind of things. And it's now this large resort that's been written up as some of the best in the world in its category by Condé Nast and award-winning and all of these kind of things to be a part of it. Um, but at the heart of it is they really want to create, wanted to create this place that people could truly disconnect and reconnect with the people that they're coming there with. Um, there isn't TVs in the rooms. It's, you know, it's about the experiences that you're going out and doing together. And the focus was really trying to create these environments and opportunities for people to just focus on one another. And in that, at Brush Creek Ranch, when you think of the spaces that you've designed there, like which, which area do you think best exemplifies it? You know, I can't specifically say one thing because it's about how you, again, going back to the experience, you know, as you come off the highway and you hit the, you know, packed earth dirt road and the huge sign and what that looks like. And just as you come into the property, how we laid everything out as a group, um, this beautiful, iconic rock and horses in the distance, you know, and how the cabins and the large buildings themselves are tucked in. They don't take away from the view. And yet when you're within the space, the views are incredible. It's about the people that work there and the, you know, white lodging as a company, as a brand, and as they distill in all of their properties throughout the country of the service model and kindness with a guest and to just, you know, be responsive in that type of a way um, that no ask is too small, <laughs> you know, type of thing. I've, I've seen it. Um, we were, we were with a group and someone happened to smoke cigarettes and, you know, it was most of the property. It was a little off season was closed and it was just a small group of, of employees. And so one of them kindly got in the car, drove to the nearest town, bought the cigarettes and brought it back. And it was, you know, it was like 11 o'clock at night. Um, but that kind of service model um, and things, just the extra care, I think that's, that people can experience there. And it's I also think- an artist community. But I think oh, it's is incredible. It? As, as you were saying it, just some of the words were just like, you know, just very tucked in or this packed or row. I just got this real cozy uh, feeling about it. And then refresh my mind, when did that open? It has been open, let's see, at least 14 years, if not more now. So, and you were involved from master planning onward. Our company, I was, I personally came a little bit after, but I've been, we've done larger developments or add-ons since then. Like I'm working on something currently right now. So that's, that's an interesting place I'd like to dig in a little bit because oftentimes I'll talk to designers or architects and many of them will say, okay, I've done it. And now this is, it's done. I'm, I'm on to the next thing. 
where they'll come back for extra work and then you'll, they'll see their, what their intention was. The guests or the operations have kind of changed things from what the operations were. And it's kind of cool to see how that evolves and to have such a long-term relationship. I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is from whatever was your clearest intention of the programming of the place to since it's been open and it's changed a little bit, what's been the most surprising evolution of a living, breathing hotel or resort? You know, there's things that we're not involved in, like the activities, um, you know, the events, but to just see how that dovetails with, you know, the trails and the experience and how they've brought that all together, um, I think has been interesting from that kind of standpoint. But I think the heart and the the narrative that the ownership the owners put together of just kind of like, this is the direction that we always want to go, that that has not changed. It doesn't matter if you're somebody who's plotting a hiking trail or you're building a new cabin and what that looks like. The, the basis of what everybody experiences is still the same. That hasn't changed at all. Um, but like any property, it's a living, breathing thing, right? There's things that are going to work and things that aren't. And there's things that happen that will give you an opportunity to relook at things. Like one of the things I'm doing now, um, unfortunately there was a fire and a couple of the things buildings built burned down. And so now we're rebuilding and we relooked, you know, is a rebuilding the exact same place? Do we want to move them around? Like, how are we getting people from point A to point B as they've grown and added more rooms? Like, how are you moving people through, um, through the food and beverage outlets? You know, how do we want to position this on the property? And it gave us opportunities to look at things with a fresh eye, which was a ton of fun. Yeah. And you don't normally get that kind of an opportunity on a project. Yeah. Normally you're there and you're, you're off, right? You're, yeah. you're done. Maybe you'll come back and do an area here or there, but to go back and kind of re-examine and take the learnings and reapply them. Right. That's pretty, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's projects that come along sometimes once or twice in a lifetime that gives you these opportunities to, to be a part of everything and mm -hmm. to this level and to this detail. And it's, it's been really, really incredible. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that's really fun about this particular property is because they wanted a very unique experience. Wait, so, which one? The Brush Creek? Brush Creek. Okay. Brush it's Creek. like everything is bespoke. Like each cabin is different. So next time you come, you know, you stayed at Blacksmith and then other time you're going to stay at um, Joe's Cowgirl. Like they're totally different. You get a different experience from that end. Um, and that's fun too, because a different way to like express that Western vernacular and what that means and all those kind of things. Yeah. I'm, I I'd love to experience that firsthand. I know like I just have such admiration for white lodging and just how they run themselves as a company. And I, I talk about this a lot. Um, and just from my experience in hotels, like you have these values, right? Your, the core values of a company or of, of a property. Right. <clears throat> and oftentimes they're just like, it's just a poster on a wall that really means nothing. Yeah. Right. But I feel with them in particular, and 
and I don't know them very well, but I've experienced staying with them. I've done some work with them over the years, but you can, you know, you can just tell by how they operate that they're very values driven, whatever yeah. those values may be. I don't even know what they are, but you can tell that it, they're just a very thoughtful company. Yeah. We've been, I mean, as a company and uh, as a whole, our clients, we have been really blessed with across the board, great clients, really amazing. And who come to us with those strong perspectives, those strong views, mm -hmm. the strong values, so to speak. And, you know, that's something that when we design with them to try to craft these experiences, you know, we like to say that what we design goes past just design. It's the experience, right? Um, it's everything as a whole to like, weight that in with all the information that we're collecting to help drive what the final design experience needs to be. Yeah. Um, and making sure, because at the end of the day, to your point, we walk away, they have to operate it. That all has to work together. It's not, and it goes beyond function. It goes beyond how, what is their service model? What does that look like? And do those align, you know, because if there's a disconnect, you know, people aren't going to come back. Yeah. And also just anecdotally regarding them in particular, they seem to be, whether they're owning or operating or owning or managing a hotel, it, it just seems like they're very um, long-term value builders, if you will. Like they're not, they're not in and out of assets. Like they, they do really cool stuff and they hang on to them for a long time, whether they're owning them or um, just, or have a management contract. Like you, it's just like you, they're, all, they're always going to be there. They really believe it and pour their heart into it. And again, I'm only speaking anecdotally from just a multitude of different stories that I've heard. So yeah. that's really cool to hear about Brush Creek Ranch. Yeah. Love that. I actually love had no idea they own that. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's their luxury within their portfolio. It's their luxury property. Um, and, you know, it's just the sprawling resort and it's, mm. it, <laughs> You know, being out there out West where there's nothing around for miles and miles and miles is an incredible experience. I really, I recommend it for anybody and everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never been there, but I've read about it and I've seen it in all in publications and um, wow. Now I'm thinking differently about it. So thank you for for inspiring me and giving me a little travel bug to go back out there. Um, Carrie, as we're going through and you're, you know, you're going to work and traveling and you know, like building and designing these beautiful places, what is keeping you up at night these days? Oh goodness. Well, I mean, lots of things are keeping me up. It's kind of an interesting time period, you know, looking back, you know, we all talk to each other about the problems that we're having. Um, what's keeping me up at night? Um, part of it is the employees and the people that we have. A um, couple things. I mean, in 2008 and 2009, we had the, that economic um, downturn and some of the statistics were anywhere from 40 to 60%, depending on the market. You know, people were laid off and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And of that percentage, you know, there is a percentage, strong percentage decided not to come back to this industry. They changed their careers, did a different career path, um, and went a different direction. 
And so we still fill that to the to this day, you know, around the senior designer, just a little bit above the market is always very competitive because there's less people than there was before. Yeah. From that aspect. And in a way with COVID, we've kind of gone through that. Um, the market is extremely competitive right now um, and finding talent who, because the cool thing about COVID, but also the double-edged sword is it gave a pause button for the entire world. So people finally had the moments to slow down and say, you know, everybody was like, I wish I could, you know, have the time to kind of investigate this or that, or, you know, really think about what I want to do in life. Right. Well, COVID gave everybody that huge opportunity. And you see these, I kind of kind of call them the great American migration, all these people to your point, leaving New York, maybe will never come back, leaving LA never come back. And all of these people, you know, that are going everywhere and, and, and the world learned this technology that we've had forever. We can do our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> from- hey, don't forget, people are leaving Chicago too. Don't just think oh, about I know that. New York and LA. No, very much. Well, they're leaving urban environments in general. Let's just yeah. talk about that. They're, they're leaving urban environments in general. And it'll be interesting how all that shakes out. So, but in general, what is that doing to our staff? Um, COVID fatigue is real for all of us. You know, it's not just the experience, the day-to-day, but it's mm-hmm. the pipeline or not the pipeline, but the, um, supply chain, you know, our jobs get harder every day yeah. and it's, oh, let's not talk about that. That's keeping <laughs> me up at night and I just, yeah, ex- I'm, I'm ex- ignoring it. <laughs> exactly. So I think part of it is, you know, in a, a position of leadership, how am I creating an environment for my employees to, or our employees to not just survive, but thrive. How do we create an environment that they can come in and fill in a safe space to do their work mm-hmm. and feel supported when they just get tired with yet again, you know, I've had to reselect this thing and go through the rigmarole at least five times because for whatever reason, they couldn't get that material. I mean, it, it, it weighs on you. And when it's almost every single thing, it's a lot. And so how do we, I want to, I just want to also say you guys have an awesome team there. Like it's just a really um, eclectic, cool, wonderful group of, of people on your team. Right. And I, and I'm curious, like if you were to kind of, as you're trying to find more people that fit that mold, like if you were to take the team, and have that that cream rise to the top of the, and you could distill the best parts of your team. Like, how would you describe them? Passionate about mm-hmm. design, sense of humor. You got to have that in this industry. This old antich goes, you either laugh or cry in life. I choose to laugh. You know, because there's going to be moments where you're just going to be like, what the. You know, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's podcast. What can we say? Right. Um, and all those different things and just laugh about the insanity that is our life in a normal situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think sense of humor, willingness to collaborate and to be passionate about what you're doing, but to not be so hung up with it 
because design is always an evolution. Um, you've got to be, as I like to say, a little bit thick skinned mm -hmm. to be able to take criticism and go back and forth. And I, we're not, but just say, Hey, if we find to this and do this and do that and whatever, and because it's a back and forth in our office all the time. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Like, I couldn't sleep last night because I think if we did this, it would just push that over the edge and like being able to do the ebb and flow with that. Um, for sure. So I heard you say passionate, humorous, uh, willing to collaborate. I like the willing part, right? Cause we all collaborate, but how to, I like that people leaning into wanting to collaborate because each collision in a, in a collaborative effort, it usually yields something new. I always like to say that, um, you know, we all have our own ideas, right? right. And it's to be around other people where I have an idea, they have an idea, our ideas have sex with each other and then make <laughs> these awesome little baby ideas. It's yeah. uh, the more that we can get our ideas to mate with each other, the better. And, and, and again, that comes from a willingness and an openness that I'm seeing go through all these conversations that I'm having with everyone that the kind of willingness and also just ultimately being flexible. Well, um, because yeah. I think in any company, you know, there's people, there are times that you get to be the visionary and there's mm -hmm. times when you need to be the person that gets the stuff done. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's at every level. There are times when you really are going to get to do the creative and fun part. And there's times where it's like, we got to make this a reality. So what does that look like? <laughs> you know, yeah. writing some of the, a lot of the things that we do on this side, like writing specs and doing drawing sets, they're, they're not very sexy, right? Right. <laughs> they're not the cool thing, but they're an essential part of who we are and what we deliver because it's from that, that the reality comes about, right? Yeah. It's like a step. It's like a, a part of the journey towards the end, which actually from all the stories you've told before, there sometimes is never an end, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes. When you think about, if you were able to like bottle up those feelings or ideas of passion, humor, collaboration, and flexibility, and being kept up at night, like what are some innovative ways that you've found to like send up the bat signal in Chicago to like attract those types of personalities? Or do you have a bat signal? Oh, we have that. We have that. Well, here's the thing. You're only as good as your network, right? right. Mm -hmm. And it's about, and I think in Chicago in general, I think in our world of hospitality, it's about relationships. Um, I think the culture for Chicago is very much about relationships. We often talk about the, our design community and stuff like that. And there's, there's people that I still stay in touch with all throughout our country that I'll tap and say, Hey, do you know of anybody who wants to relocate or whatever, or people who've moved to New York from here. And I stay in touch with them because you never know, they might come back this way. I joked, we had a couple of people who moved from here and started working, um, at a particular at Meyer Davis, I believe it was. And we saw them here. They were here for an opening for a restaurant and I was joking around with them and I said, all right, I sent a couple of people your way. You can send a couple. We'll just have this like exchange program, you know, kind of thing. Well, hey, two great companies to exchange and, and collaborate with. You know? I mean, but also, you know, going to Chicago, you, 
after having lived in New York, Chicago, it's just much more manageable. Like it's just, it's uh, really, I know that's a lake, but really it looks like an ocean when you're in the right spot. It's uh, it's beautiful. You can't see the other side. So yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, I, I lo- I've always loved Chicago, but I think mostly it's because whenever I go there, I feel a bit like a celebrity because of my <laughs> name, <laughs> Dan yes. Ryan. There's an expressway here. Is it named after you? And I always say, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh boy. Oh. Um, okay. So that, so the people part is keeping you up at night. You're, you have your bat signal of your network and just trying to attract those types of people and finding new um, what's, What's exciting you most about the future? You know, like I said, I, I kind of touched on it before. I think what has been exciting for me and even just to see things come out is COVID really has given us time to pause and to think and especially for creative types to give that restful space that we need to, to stay creative and to think of different things. And so it's been incredibly fun to see um, just some of the, whether it's new technologies within our industry to make it a better place. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was amazing the response, if you think about it, how quickly vendors turned around to deal with how do you make a hyperallergenic, (laughs) you know, how do you deal with a pandemic in a guest room and people coming in and out? And how do you make people from, how you get the word out and from that and the positioning from that on down to the physical. I mean, it's, it's just incredible when you think about how we all came together for that. And, you know, I sat on some calls with NAWH of like putting stuff together in sources that people from NAWH could go and go, not only is it sustainable, but it meets the criteria that it needs to in this situation. So when it's specifying something, I know that it's going to be appropriate, you know, for the challenges we have right now. So as you were saying that I had an, I I had this image pop in of just like from the movie, the naked gun. And it it was basically (laughs) to really make it work. You got to like wrap people in cellophane (laughs) before they go into their rooms, make sure you poke some holes so they can breathe, but we're just all so disgusting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's kind of, you know, when you really stop and think about, you know, coming and staying in a place over and over and all the people, you can kind of go, ooh. Or you just take it all in. Or you just take this it all in. This is the humanity. Right. I'm doing I mean, push-ups. I'm doing push-ups and sit-ups on the floor of my room in the morning. And that just, the thought of that revolts so many people. <laughs> well, as long as the maid comes in after you or the. the well, no, they never, come, they, they never come in anymore. <laughs> well, they're supposed to come in between guests, but anyway, regardless. Um, but it's just, I think it's regardless, that's just one aspect, right? That we can talk real, real time, real world, but I, just the advancements you see in technology and other things and creativity and art that you see coming out and artists that have had this moment to like really focus on stuff, literature, like it, in some ways, you know, it could be somewhat of a renaissance for the world if we choose it to be right. If we don't, if we can all, you know, have a little bit of more of brotherly love. <laughs> if we have a willingness to. A willingness to. And that's key, I, key word. Yeah. And I think 
I, of all these conversations, it's the first time I've heard the idea of a willing. I've heard open and this and that, but be also, it's not just being open, but being open and willing, right? It's uh, yeah. I really like that. So I'm going to just steal that from you and use it more. We need to <laughs> well, be more willing. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing I love about this industry is it is so diverse and so different, you know, from the Middle East to the United States and, you know, and everywhere in between and cultures coming together and how, like some of the most exciting things I've ever gotten to do was, you know, I, there was a time period when I used to work at Getty's and we had a lot, ton of international work and that was 98% of all my projects. And so I had projects at one time in the UAE and in mainland China. And so it was kind of crazy. I would get on conference calls at 6 a.m. and then work all day. And then I'd get on conference calls with people at seven or eight or nine o'clock at night and work till midnight. I was getting about four hours of sleep there for months on end, but it was so exciting because I was getting exposed to cultures. You know, if you're doing multifamily residential in China, the mainland China, the kitchens are different. Well, what does that look like? What do they need? And all those kind of things. If you're doing anything in the middle East, the ablution sprays, like the things that you need to think about designing, like making sure that lights and position properly in the floor. So you don't light up a dish dash, which is, you know, that's the, um, the garbs and the, you know, that people wear in the middle East, mm-hmm. you don't want to light them up like a Christmas tree. That's not good. <laughs> Especially yeah. when modesty is a big thing, you know, and it's, it's fun to learn about those things and get exposed to all those different cultures and the ways of doing things of how expats work in these places and all the fun. And, you know, it can be frustrating, but it's still so interesting. I find humanity interesting. That's what I love about hospitality because it's how we live and experience joy. I mean, think about how many things happen in a restaurant or at a bar or, you know, spas or, you know, at a hotel, like our lives. Or I could just plant myself at a corner bar stool at Gibson's and watch all the insanity that goes on there. Yeah. I mean, it is or just, you got, profes- you, you got professional baseball players, hockey players, wrestlers, and who knows what else going on right there. And you throw in a little bit of alcohol and uh, it's quite a show every single night. Yeah, very much so. It's, <laughs> it's, and it doesn't matter. You know, you said Gibson's, you know, it could be any restaurant, right? Any bar. And just like, it's, it's fun to see how all that transpires. We live our lives, you know, in these spaces, we really do. Mm-hmm. And so no, I, my favorite thing to do in the world is just watching people. Like I'd throw, I'd trade in my TV for just a constant flow of people going by that I could just watch and imagine and get energy off of, you know, it's oh, just, yeah. uh, I love it. Well, if you ever I, miss, that- I miss a lot of it too. Yeah. Have you ever played the game when you sit there with either a friend or a family member and you try to guess about the different people, like whatever vibe that they're putting out? Oh, you know, he's a doctor. He's this or that. Just to play that game. Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. Actually, um, I won't use names, but (laughs) uh, I was at the Nat King Cole Bar at the St. Regis with some friends. And Mm -hmm. we were I think we were just having some martinis and then. There's, it has a reputation of having 
professionals at yes. the bar, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. And uh, so we were seeing, and we were looking at everyone from, from behind. We're like, oh yeah, she's trying to pick up him and blah, blah, blah. And we, we spun this whole story. And then the, the woman, it totally was, we were totally wrong. The woman <laughs> turned around and we all knew her. <laughs> That's the best, but, but it's just, yeah. just fun. <laughs> oh, what am I saying? Uh, that was a, that was a really, really good one. Ugh. God, that was awesome. That was so shocking and funny. And we were just so off the mark. And I think it's a story that I will tell forever. Well, and I, I mean, everybody's story and how you experience something, even if it's the exact same thing, you know, comes through your per perspective. It's your own story, right? Mm -hmm. you, know, you and I can experience the same thing, but because of our background and whatever, we might have a different pers perspective. The story is slightly different. So, you know, and that's, that's how we interact with all things in life, including the spaces that we interact with themselves. Mm -hmm. So, so Carrie, um, when you were first inspired by architecture, you were what, 17 years old? No, uh, I was in third grade. <laughs> oh, you were in third grade. Oh, oh wow. yeah. So, so was that four, five, no, seven, six, six or seven years old, right? Yeah. So I was a very serious child and I loved art. That's all I wanted to do. And, but I just was hyper aware, probably more so than most kids that, mm -hmm. and I, you know, and I think part of it at the same time, I was learning about artists and all these artists, these tragic, the Van Goghs, you know, penniless, you know, figures. And I just was like, and earless, earless. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to be able to pay for things in life and, but how do I do this? And so going to that architectural studio and just seeing the creativity behind it and how that really works. And like I said, you know, architecture is sculpture in motion. It's a living, right. breathing. So if, if you were to go, if, if you, the Carrie that you are today, right here talking to me, went back to the seven or eight year old Carrie in third grade at Clemson, you bumped into each other. What advice would you give yourself? Are you sure? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think of advice, you know, it's really interesting. I have, and I won't necessarily give names per se, but if I have been really blessed. I think the thing that's so amazing about the hospitality industry is the mentorship program, so to speak, that naturally organically happens in this industry. And there's been some women in particular um, who've reached out to me like this industry is amazing. There's incredible people, but it is a hungry, hungry monster, right? Mm -hmm. It is an engine that never stops. It will take everything <laughs> that you give it. And then some, um, you have to have a different approach. Uh, particular personality, I think, to survive in this and to be successful. But I think one of the things they said to me, and I wish, again, I would say this to my seven-year-old, eight-year-old self is know when to say when, set boundaries. Like you can't, the well of creativity will run dry or you'll have a hard time with it if you don't take time for yourself. Like it's our natural tendency to still, you talk to any designer, it, it doesn't ever turn off. You can be sitting on vacation and you're sketching something, you know, you're looking and you're with your critical eye. Well, I don't at the hotel that you're sitting at, 
I don't understand why they did this or why this is about, or, oh yeah, I bet this was not what they really wanted. And this was value engineered. <laughs> you know, you can see, see the telltale signs. It just, it never turns off. We, that's awesome because we, we all do deplete ourselves and so much. And there's this huge trend rising now um, for wellness within hospitality and thinking about how yeah. you restore and rejuvenate and replenish. Um, when you're feeling drained, um, how do you replenish yourself? So aha. one of the things that has been great, great about Lisa and Gina um, Lisa Simeone and Gina Deary is, you know, when they started their company, they decided to set a hard boundary that from Christmas to new year's, they were going to close as a company. And that was something that they, you know, have talked to the clients about from the beginning. And so having that time off, because our clients know that we're not working, that anything that needs to be get done, like in an emergency, we're there every, you know, I still was checking email a little bit here and there but it is the one time of year that I can completely disconnect. And so I tend to try to go somewhere and I tend to go by myself actually. Um, and I try to go to a place that, you know, it's just, I don't have a lot to do to like for my comfortability, whether it's an all-inclusive or I rent a cabin and, you know, I can just go grocery shopping, but I'm not going anywhere. So I have this quiet focus time that I can, do the things that I love, you know, maybe I want to paint, maybe I want to write, you know, we creatives, usually we have more than one interest, right? You know, I think it's finding what, what refills you and then giving the time and the focus to it. You know, some people love to camp or whatever that is, but I think you just said something really powerful that it's really giving the the time and the focus it's being intentional because we can all say we want to do these things and accomplish all this stuff. But if we're not, if we're not making the time, because we all have the same amount of time, but if we're not blocking out or chunking that and really focusing on whatever that is of being intentional outside of work to refill that creative, well, we're really missing out on so much. And I think it's really important for everyone to remember, like that intentionality is incredibly important. Well, and I think to like pull it full circle with hospitality, I mean, this is what the mentality and where people are coming. And so how do we as a community answer that in a way, how does that now become a reality within design and manifest itself in the way that we do it of giving people these opportunity and spaces to where wellness and where people can truly somewhat connect or disconnect, give the people the opportunity and that choice. And I think that's something that's always been ever present, but how do we look at it through the newest lens? And so in in some ways, I'm really excited to see how all that comes out. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited by that trend because I think we all can learn from it. I think that just like you're saying, there's so many good things that have come out of um, this pandemic as horrible as it's been for so many people. Um, I think that pause and thinking about how everything is so impermanent and we just, and given that just being more intentional with refilling our well of creativity, I think we all need that creativity or just sanity, right? Yeah. 
I mean, you can't, you can't create if your mind is going 10 million different directions all at the same time. And so it's, how do you give that focus back to it and to yourself? Because if you're, if your well is full, you're happier, your environments are happier going back to the employees and all of that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's a full circle thing. Yeah. And that's, if, if we're all well, that's our bat signal, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, Carrie, how can people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me. Um, through our website. Um, it's just carrie.tolman at simeonidiri.com. Mm-hmm. That's one way to get in touch with me. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can look me up that way as well. Great. And we'll have it on the, uh, on the show notes as well. So Carrie, I just want to say thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Oh, it's been great. Um, and also let's not forget, thank you listeners. Um, again, the show has just been so much fun to do. And all these conversations are teaching me so much and making me more willing to, uh, to hear everyone's different experiences. So if it's helped you evolve your outlook on hospitality, please share it. And uh, we look forward to having you next time. Mm -hmm.